What's up, Gumbo listeners? Demetrius Malbro here with another Data Protection Gumbo episode. And this one is titled, Who's King? Data Protection in 2021. And to drop some knowledge for us today, I have Keith Townsend, principal and founder of the CTO Advisor LLC on today. And Keith has more than 20 years of related experience designing, implementing, and managing data center technologies. And his areas of expertise include virtualization, networking, and storage solutions for Fortune 500 organizations. So Gumbo listeners, Keith will be sharing insight from his conversations and experience across the backup and recovery industry, some data protection predictions, and a bit about the relevancy of backup in today's modern data center. So sit back and relax or pace yourself during your morning jog. As you are listening to Keith, give us some fantastic insight from his vantage point in the market. Welcome to the gumbo, Keith. How are you? You know what? This show is making me hungry. I'm, I'm, I'm doing good, though. <laughs> All right. Let, let's see if we can feed some of the listeners with, with some knowledge here. So um, I guess let's start off by telling the gumbo listeners about this data center of yours that, that I think you, you just purchased a, a data center and, and what, what made you want to go out and buy a data center right now? So it seems like a crazy idea and it is, but I think uh, it's starting to resonate with folks. The CTO advisor's primary business is content creation. So, you know, I'm pretty prolific on LinkedIn, Twitter, and then the blog itself. But one of the things that I've consistently ran ran into, not just as a content creator, but a practitioner, is this abstract concept of hybrid infrastructure. Companies say, you know what, you should have a data protection strategy, you should have a storage data, uh, a data strategy across multiple clouds, a control plane that integrates the two. But no one really shows us how to do that. So the CTO advisor hybrid infrastructure, which is sponsored by Intel. Thanks, Intel. Got to get that plug in. They pay the bills. Uh, is just that it, it is a basically a lab, a live lab that sitting inside of a QTS data center here in Chicago, connected via 10 gigabit uh, connection to Megaport to the Internet. And we just run through modernizing the data center. We started out with, you know, some some bootleg five year old tech that a typical enterprise will have where, you know, the scenario is that you're, you're at your end of your refresh cycle and it's time to or your life cycle and it's time to refresh your infrastructure. What types of decisions should you be making? What better way to do that than to show people with my own money? Wow. Yeah, I, I really like that because. You, you definitely are putting your money where your mouth is. And, you know, when I when I first saw, I think I saw it on Twitter before I saw it on LinkedIn. And I said, hold on, did I read this right? I said, Keith bought a data center. So it's like, OK, I know he has some type of strategy up his sleeves in order to take that into, you know, kind of have some beneficial services to help out some of those CTOs and CIOs out there. So hats off to you on, on making that move, Keith. So. Also, I, I want to dive a little bit into the backup and recovery aspect since, you know, this is the gumbo and I specialize in trying to give that insight to backup and recovery and storage administrators. So what's your take on 
the backup and recovery market right now. And are you seeing any trends or, or shifts happening at the moment? Well, the most interesting shift or trend that I've been watching over the past, I'd say, two to three years have been this need for traditional backup companies to expand beyond backup. So, you know, data protection has become a word and data mobility, et cetera, is becoming a word, a concept. But this idea of how do you leverage in this day of data and, and, and data-driven decisions, how do you leverage 20, 30 years of data, of archive data to enable business decisions? And I think that is obviously a a ripe area for innovation and almost every provider, every data center, every data protection company has kind of gone after that. And probably one of the more aggressive ones has been Commvault with their uh, entering the primary storage piece. So, you know, we've seen a lot of secondary storage plays in this space, but uh, I think Commvault has kind of come to the awareness that you really can't serve these workloads without having uh, primary storage. So I'm, I'm, I'm betting that over the next couple of years, you'll see a lot more of these uh, data protection companies enter the primary storage arena. Mm, okay. Yeah, I, I am also seeing and hearing something similar as well, uh, just in my conversations with some of the guests that I've had on, on the gumbo lately. And I, I also know that you've worked with most of the backup and recovery and data protection vendors like HPE and Cohesity and Rubrik and Commvault that you just mentioned, and even some of the storage vendors like NetApp. Do you think backup is a, an appropriate method that the way they're doing it right now, is, is that the appropriate method to carry forward in the future? And will it exist, let's say, five years from now? You know, that's a really good question. I think uh disclaimer every company you mentioned is a cq advisor uh customer so absolutely okay i've worked with each one of those i don't know if there's a data protection company that hasn't sponsored cto advisor content in general i think backup will continue to be a application within the data protection suite what i'm not 100 percent convinced about is that backup companies will be able to make the argument that they are the source of this archive data to get towards this traditional data lake, that that has been a very difficult. I've tried to have that conversation with CTOs, uh, CDOs, uh, chief data officers, and they just, they are not getting that themselves as a way forward. Okay. And why, why do you think that's so? Because I've seen kind of like over the past 10 or 15 years, so you go from traditional backup softwares to today, you know, especially when VMware became a thing and, and cloud and all of that started really being a, a big thing and corporations started utilizing those technologies, that once you have all the data and you know exactly where it is and you start with the metadata so you have that insight and being able to take that insight in order to make more informed decisions, I've seen that argument as well. So is, is that kind of what you're talking about, taking like the metadata of that data and being able to do other things with it? Well, I think the metadata is key. So you need to know where the what data you have and where mm -hmm. that data is at. And it would seem like your 
backup catalogs and the resulting data would be the best source of that data, especially as you make it richer and you create APIs to it, etc. What I've it's not the inability of the solutions to meet the technical demand, but it's the inability of these companies to penetrate new audiences. The silo of the enterprise backup is a silo within a silo. So, you know, backup is a subset of, of storage and storage itself is a silo within the enterprise. The storage admins and the DBAs don't collaborate. The storage admins and the chief data officers don't collaborate. You would think that logically it makes sense for these two groups to be tied at the hip, but they're not. The data group typically sits inside the application side of the house and the storage group is buried deep into the infrastructure side of the house. And those two teams really don't coordinate strategies and talk through you know, how can I use the low level underlay to better the job uh, at the at the mm-hmm. data level? Yeah, I, I can see that because when, when I was a, a backup administrator several years ago, you know, we, we were all separated into separate teams. So there was, you know, a TSM group with, you know, two or three TSM administrators. And then you had the storage group. They did their own thing. You had the network group. They did their own thing. And you had you know, all these different silos who only communicated across a tool, like let's say, uh, like a service now and a change management ITIL tracking type of system. And, you know, I don't think Slack and all, all of those things were out back then. So you literally had to get up and walk to someone's desk to have a conversation if you felt like it. But yeah, I, I actually feel you on that one. I also read something a, w- uh, a while ago, too, that you did a Backup is Dead webinar. I think this was back in 2017, where the premise was there are no longer any major backup software or storage hardware companies. Do you still feel that way that Backup is Dead? And, and also, do you have any uh, like merger or acquisition predictions for 2021 in 2022, because I, I have my own. Well, I forgot about that blog post. That that was provocative. Thanks for. Uh, <laughs> bring, yeah, I thought yeah, so. Yeah, thanks for bringing that back up. So, I think backup as if you're a modern enterprise, mm-hmm. backup should be dead. Like backup is no longer a thing that we're going to need backups, and you're going to need system redundancy. You're going to need the function that backup provides. But backup as a standalone product is just a subset, as I said earlier, of data protection. So as you're thinking about your hybrid infrastructure and you're thinking about data protection, you know, you're thinking across, you know, your Office 365s, your Salesforce, all these SaaS functions. And you're thinking about uh, your infrastructure as a service cloud providers. And you have to think through what happens with the user motion. If a user, you know, you've worked in the enterprise for a long time, Demetrius. So if a user has access to these wonderful tools in AWS in the form of Lambda, they have access to all of this rich data in Salesforce. And then they have on-prem Oracle databases and exports, et cetera. They're going to they're going to stitch together some bastardized stuff. Like it's going to be true game changing stuff. 
And this is not even shadow IT. This is stuff that you're giving them access to. But as an IT organization, you, you may not be ready to support these types of applications, but they're out there. And they're not like these traditional apps that come and shrink wrap rare or, or, or even that we engage developers, developers to do. These are business processes that organizations have uh, kind of just fell into. Mm-hmm. And you have to think through what does data protection and backup look like in that new world? Okay. It doesn't look like what we have today. Mm. To your question on, you know, mergers, acquisitions, et cetera, you know, some backup companies are going to get Sherlock because uh, storage, primary storage vendors have long uh, integrated backup into their solutions. HPE has a standalone backup solution. So, you know, one of uh, my points in that backup is dead article, if I remember correctly, was that uh, there was this unspoken, there was also, you know, right after that, uh, uh, you know, I uh, posted this, Convault uh, broke the unwritten rule of storage. You know, you worked at a storage uh, vendor before. You don't create tier one storage. Like, the, as a backup vendor, you, you, you don't play in that space. You play nice with the HPEs, the pure storage, the Dell EMCs of the world, and you kind of stay in your lane. Convault went out of their lane and acquired a tier one storage provider. I, I see a lot more of that happening. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that piece. And, and when I was kind of searching for for or questions and things that I, I wonder what I can ask uh, Keith when I get him on the podcast. And, and that was one that kind of stood out. So I think that was a, a great, a great webinar that you did back back then. And it's still relevant today. And so also continuing on with, you know, since you are the CTO advisor. All right. So w- what advice do you have for CTOs and CIOs right now in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic uh, as it pertains to just protecting their their data in general? Oh, it is so complicated right now. I think uh, (laughs) COVID-19 has brought forward a lot of the fears we thought would occur when employees work remotely and they have more autonomy with this whole bring your own device, uh, remote work, etc., the concept of data being within the four walls of a data center had already been shrinking. Now that's just been blown out the water where even if you, even if you go with an all VDI approach to data and uh, application access, et cetera, data is going to leak. So you have to, you have to tackle that problem. And that's not so much a technology problem as it is an education problem because, you know, there's, I've tried to solve this problem in the government of, you know, preventing data leakage uh, via tools. And there's just no tools that's going to prevent somebody taking a picture of a piece of content and emailing it to a business partner because they want to collaborate. And we're not even talking about nefarious uses here. We're just talking about just users trying to get their work done. And this is, I think, a two-pronged approach. The first is education. You have to educate your workforce. That is especially, you know, in the day of phising, you know, phishing attempts, you, you, uh, Mm -hmm. you, you have 
people uh, with inbound phone calls, yeah. social media, uh, and in addition to email, uh, ransomware is a huge, huge uh, problem now. So education is probably the number one preventive tool. Mm -hmm. Then the other piece is from a technology perspective, not so much data protection directly, but indirectly making sure that users can collaborate the way that they need to collaborate. I had a practical problem with my my team is virtual. And not only is my team virtual, they're not full time employees. So I had this really interesting challenge of how do I collaborate? We're writing a, a, a paper together, a study. We're doing a study together. How do we collect data, organize that data and uh, control access to that data? Like today, what tool would you use to collaborate with a tool with with a bunch of people that are outside of your uh, your legal organization? Mm -hmm. On the abstract, you're like, oh, yeah, I just go to Dropbox or whatever. What? You know, you get into some really meaty challenges like identity management and and ACL and making sure that that data set doesn't go beyond the the team that you've created virtually because you can't monitor how they give access to the data that they receive, et cetera, et cetera. So there's the, the, these are problems you really have to think through, create policy, educate people with the policy. And then follow that up with some technology. And the technology is not necessarily pre preventative technology, but enabling technology that allows people to collaborate in the ways that they need to collaborate. Okay. Yeah, I, I appreciate that 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 response there. And I wanna kind of shift a little bit over to, you know, cloud native workloads, right? So are you pessimistic or optimistic when it comes to protecting cloud native workloads, let's say with like software as a service based backup and recovery solutions and and if so, why? So I think I'm more or less optimistic because uh, cloud native doesn't know how to do persistent storage and they're kind of flailing mm -hmm. their hands up and like, you know what, we're not going to recreate this, this, this thing. Uh, workloads will continue to be application, the application and worker part of these new world applications will continue to be stateless, but we're going to mm -hmm. outsource the stateful nature of this stuff to the storage. I've seen a lot of people use the, the like double down on the storage array and the storage provider itself being the stateful provider of, of, of data sets. So not even databases, but the the data store itself. So whether it's file base or object base or whatever, mm -hmm. it is the storage layer that provides the resiliency and the consistent and the persistence. And then for us, that's just regular backup tools. All right. And you also mentioned something earlier as well in just kind of tagging on to that that COVID nineteen theme and kind of what's happened overall uh, across the world. Uh, with the pandemic and everything. Uh, I, I read a report the other, the other day that said that the U.S. added about 1.8 million jobs in July, while the unemployment rate ticked down to about 10.2%. And they were talking about the monthly jobs report. And there's one concerning trend there. So it's saying that more people are going without a job for longer periods. 
And 6.5 million workers have been unemployed for 15 to 26 weeks. And that's up 4.6 million from last month. So that is a concerning trend. And I'm having conversations with backup and recovery and storage administrators as well. And um, they are also feeling the pain as well because there's so many people out there in the job market that's well qualified. So competition is fierce. So what advice would you give to a backup or storage administrator that's out of work right now and trying to remain relevant and at least get noticed in this uh, tough job market, Keith? So I think I had a really interesting interaction with a storage solution provider for the recent storage field day event a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And they sent a survey out to the delegates asking the question, what should what are some of the biggest challenges for storage administrators? Okay. And the question triggered me. I'm like, storage administrators? Mm-hmm. How, is that, how is that even, I'm, this is going to sound harsh, mm-hmm. but how is that even a job anymore? Like, <laughs> literally, how is storage administration a full-time job with, and I'm not just talking about the advances in cloud or, uh, even HCI taking away kind of the 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 care and feeding of lungs, etc. Et when you look at a modern storage array, uh, especially something that's you know kind of lower than a VMAX, because I think you still need a PhD to manage your VMAX. <laughs> okay. But relative to even when you know the VMAX first hit, these things are increasingly simple to manage. Mm-hmm. Storage isn't simple, but the management of the storage systems have become much more simpler. So storage and backup administrators in general, uh, engineers, architects, I've Mm -hmm. found them to be some of the more flexible. Resilient. Resilient is a pretty good word too, but I think it's more flexible skill sets within the enterprise IT. Uh, When you look at, the I would encourage folks looking for a job to go out and look at the resumes on LinkedIn of some of the cl- cloud engineers and architects. You might find that maybe 30, 20 to 30 percent. I'm making this number up, but it's a guess. 20 to 30 percent of those historically, they were storage administrators. And my previous roles, full time roles, the the cloud teams were primarily made up of or led by former storage administrators. Mm, okay. It is that valuable knowledge that you have that is a advantage in this job market. So really tailor your resume towards, you know, this this conversation around data versus the storage parts of it. Highlight how you've enabled the use of data versus, you know, the mundane of backing up and recovering storage. Hmm. That's that's the first time I've I've heard that that storage administrator term as far as being looked at from that perspective because and, and that it, it makes sense to me Keith because I remember when the command line was not as much a thing anymore and that you you know you had these UIs where you can go in and you can point and you can click um you know point and click provisioning and things like that from a storage perspective. So I definitely feel you on on that one. So we have time for one more question, and this is uh, the closing gumbo question. And I I like to make this one 
different and and unique. So I'm really curious for your answer here because I, I've gotten some 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 really interesting answers back to this question, and it and it goes along with the sign of the times, right? So it is what makes you frustrated or angry enough that you would consider standing in front of a data center and protesting about it until there there's change. Oh, this is an easy one for me. Yeah, oh, this is okay. Is that because you own it's a because, data center? It's no. because I, I, I lease, I col- I, I'm in a colo, and it gets it gets me every time I need to get a quote for it. So roughly, I've been pretty public about my uh, data center expenses because this is part of the process. I have three racks. I have a cage. On orders of magnitude, my monthly rent at the data center is roughly $6,000 a month. So it cost me $6,000 literally to turn on the lights because most of the charge is for the, uh, uh, I'm charged. When you're charged in the data center, it's by the amount of power that you're contracted to, to use. And floor space is kind of a secondary charge. The other way that providers increase their cost or their uh, revenue is cross connects. So not unique to my provider. Uh, Every time I need to run a, not just, so I have an office space in the data center that I'm using as a recording studio. And they have general Wi-Fi that's available throughout the building. But as you, if you ever created content before, Wi-Fi is not a acceptable medium to create content. So in order to connect back to my cage so that I can use my gigabit up and down enterprise class, super redundant Internet, I'd have to pay the construction cost for the uh, for the conduit, which is, you know, that's reasonable. Then for the entirety of my contract, three hundred dollars a month. To maintain that cross connect. Three hundred dollars a month for what value? Like, what are they doing for this three hundred dollars a month? This cross connect fees can easily become fifty to a hundred to no, not a hundred because you still have, but cross connect fees can easily become fifty percent of your data center cost. And you're not adding any power or any real burden on the on the uh, data center provider and the operations staff. It is absolutely just rent extraction, and it uh, it 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 burns me to no uh, it burns me to no to no end. My my account team will every time I, I every time I rage tweet about it, my account team comes back and say, you know what, we built the we paid, a, you know, we we spent a billion dollars on this data center. So this is just a way to recruit costs. And I'm like, it's just a bad business model. It's not just you guys. It's everyone. I If you're going to go into a colo space, double your budget because you're going to incur colo fees. It is my 10 gig Internet connection. Five hundred dollars a month of it is to mega port to provide the port, which makes sense. I'm taking up a port on their equipment, $500 a month, super reasonable for the 10 gig cross connect, for the 10 gig port, another $300 a month for the fiber that runs across that. Plus I had to pay for the installation of the fiber. So that's just, 
you know, over a 36 month contract, you know, you're looking at way, well over $10,000. Yeah. It, just in charges just to run a cable. Yeah. It, it sounds like we're, we're in the wrong business, but I, I think you're onto something, you know, by, you know, renting that space and, and going into that, that model and, you know, building that, that hybrid, hybrid um, data center model. So I, I think, I think you're going to, you're going to see some benefits from it, even though there's, there's some, some extra fees and, and things that may seem a little outlandish as far as, um, you know, ports and et cetera. So I'm, I'm optimistic for you on, on that front. And I, I do appreciate that answer. Uh, I think the gumbo listeners will walk away with, with some insights and uh, just want to thank you for coming on the show and uh, maybe we'll get together another time and, and, and do another episode as well. So I appreciate it. You know, I got I to gotta have you on the CTO Advisor podcast soon. Uh, return the return the favor. Sure. Uh, and get you on the CTO Advisor podcast and we can talk about uh, data protection or careers or whatever, you, you know, sure. you, you want to sure. talk about. That, that sounds good as well. And I'm assuming everyone can can reach you on, on Twitter, right? And um, yeah. I'm at the CTO advisor on Twitter and the website, as you mentioned, is the CTO All right. Well, thanks, my friend. And until next time. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.